Guys, thanks for leading us in worship. And uh, that, that first song, these guys work really hard to uh, allow us to confess the truths that we're going to be meditating on in the scriptures. And that, that first song, especially where we just declare who we are as, as children of God, that's going to come through loud and clear uh, in 1 John. So let's, let's dig in, guys. Let's, let's jump into 1 John. Um, if you're newer to Veritas, my name's Jeff. I'm really glad that you're here. So fun to see you guys all here to worship and to hear from God. Um, we've been going through this little book of 1 John, not the bigger book called John. That's the way at the beginning of the New Testament. He wrote several books toward the end of the New Testament. The, the one we're going through is 1 John, and we're down into chapter 2 and verse 12. But even before we, we jump into the reading of the word, um, I just want to have us kind of frame it in a little bit. Who is this guy, John? Who is John that is writing this letter that went to some first century believers that eventually made it all the way to Eastern Iowa in 2020? This guy, John, the Apostle John, I just want to give you a little bit of context. I'm not going to do a whole little biography on him, but what little bit we do know I think is going to be informative for what he's about to tell us here in chapter 2, the middle of chapter 2. So he started off, you guys, as the youngest apostle of all the apostles. He started off as the young one. And so he was kind of the, the cool kid brother, kind of cute little kid brother that the rest of the apostles had. A very loving guy. Uh, the, the apostle that Jesus loved was kind of a nickname for this guy. But also, you got to know something else about him. He and his brother James, James and John, they had another nickname. Do you guys remember what they called him? The Sons of Thunder. Exactly. The Sons of Thunder. You know what that means? They were they were, they were pretty spunky. They, they were kind of maybe a little itching to, to go at it a little bit. You know, sons of thunder. They were energetic. And at one point, uh, this is back in the book of Mark, at one point, uh, John comes up to Jesus. He goes, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. You know, he's like, we went after him. We got him, Jesus. We got him, you know. And remember what Jesus did? Hey, hey, calm down, right? James and John. If they're not against us, they're for us. I've got power to spare. We're good. We're, you know, like, hey, chill a little bit. So these, I just want you to know, John was not just this cute, lovable kid brother. He was a spunky dude. He was a fiery dude. He was always kind of wanting to be out on the front lines. Well, now, as we intersect John's life here in 1 John, he's a much older man. In fact, by this point in John's life, he's not only that young, spunky son of thunder, He's an elderly man and is the only apostle left. In fact, he's, he's maybe been the singular apostle left alive because of all the persecution, the deaths, all those that had been martyred. His span of being an apostle without any other friends is maybe up to 20 or 30 years since the last apostle before him has been killed off for the sake of the gospel. So this guy has weathered a ton of storms. He is deep into his time here on earth, but he's got some spunk left in him, okay? Like after this, he's probably in Ephesus here writing this letter. He's going to hit the front lines again after writing this, and by the time we encounter him in the book of Revelation, which he also wrote, he will have been on the front line so much he gets exiled and is thrown into a prison camp out on the island of, of Patmos. By the way, I've been to Patmos. You could be in worse places. But anyway, I'm just saying, he, he's been exiled at that point. But, but even right now, he's aged, he's wise, he's paternal. He, he's just filled with, with wisdom. Um, but he's a veteran, okay? 
That's the part I want you to hang on. He's like a veteran. He's been in this battle a long, long time. So now like any good father figure, veteran, he's going to say some hard things to us. Not, not hard in the sense of like correctives, but he knows what we're about to face. He knows some things are coming our way. And so he's going to put his arm around us like a good, good father and uh, teach us some things that we're going to need to know. But before he goes into the hard stuff, he just, honestly, this text, it's like he really is wrapping his arm around us and reminding us of how much he loves us and how proud he is of us. It's really cool, you guys. So 1 John chapter 2, I'm in verse 12. And these, these couple of verses here are so different than the whole rest of the letter. It's almost like he just hits pause as he's teaching, and it'd be like me teaching you guys and come along, jumping down off and, and put my arm around you and be like, hey, just remember who you are, what I really think about you guys. Okay, so, so 1 John chapter 2, let him do that to you. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you've conquered the evil one. Now he's going to go back through and talk about those three individual groupings again. I have written to you children because you've come to know the Father. And I've written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I've written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. So I want to I just spend a few moments just pulling over and parking by each one of these little designations because I think there's something all of us can learn from every one of these. So the first one, he calls us little children. Okay, now, understand, he's not being patronizing at this point, okay? He's not like, oh, you little kids out there, I'm so old and white, you little punks. No, no, no. It's not a patronizing term at all. It's actually a term of honor, a term of endearment. If you've got your Bible, look at chapter 3, verse 1. This is John speaking about what it's like to be a child of God. Uh, 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. Like, here's this elderly apostle just still getting giddy about the fact that he's a child of God. So when he calls us little children, he's, he's reminding us about something really important. We're just a child of God. And, and, and I, I love the two ways that he says that. Little children, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then, in verse 14, you've come to know the Father. These two aspects of reminding ourselves that we are first and foremost children of God, guys, we have to lock in on these. At every stage of our, of our spiritual journey, we've got to lock in on these. The first one, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The number one reason to rejoice that, that we are children of God is that we've been forgiven. I, I almost wonder if he, when he's doing this, is reminded of another time earlier in his life, way earlier, when he was still a son of thunder. And there's another time in Luke 10 where, where James and John and the other guys come up to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, get this. Even the demons are obeying us when we speak your name. Woo! You know, they're like all just cocky, you know, and proud. And do you remember what Jesus says to James and John and the other guys at that point? Yeah, that's cool and true. And I got so much authority. I've seen stuff you'll never see, and I'm giving some of that authority to you. But you know what? Don't rejoice 
that you can kick demons around, what are they supposed to rejoice in? Your names are written in heaven. That's what you're supposed to be excited about right now. If you're going to rejoice, if you're going to get all eager about anything, remember you're a child of God and you've been forgiven. I love, if you guys have been around and heard me teach very much, um, Psalm 103 is kind of one of my go-tos. It's just one of my go-tos in life, not just in teaching. Let me just read a couple of verses that remind us what it's like to have our sins forgiven. Here's what he says. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's just as exuberant as as John in 1 John 3. I'm a child of God, you know. My soul, bless the Lord. Don't forget all his benefits. And what are the what's the very first benefit that is in Psalm 103? Don't forget this. He forgives all your iniquity. He forgives your iniquity. Later he says, the Lord is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in faithful love. He's not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Psalm 103, 13, as a father is compassionate on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. What I'm saying is, John is saying, hey, never lose that kind of children stage where you're just excited. I've been forgiven, and I've sinned much, and so I've been forgiven much. And before anything else, I'm just going to hit pause every day and just say, I am a child of God, and I've been forgiven And then he goes on to say, we've come to know the Father, right? Down in verse 14 of 1 John 2. I've written to you children because you've come to know the Father. Guys, we always call him Father no matter how old we are, right? It doesn't matter how old you are, how mature you get, or or what age you are relative to other people around you. No, there's always a sense that we are reminded that we look up to the heavens and we say, you are a father. You are Abba, Daddy, father. And even though I'm this age and I've got all this, when when I hold my little granddaughter, Colette, she always grabs my beard and says, paint, paint. (laughs) Like I've painted my, you know, no, I didn't paint. I maybe should paint, but no, that's, that's legit. That's my hair. That's what color it turns. Um, She thinks it's white paint, right? Even at this age with paint in my beard. um, Man, I delight that I've got a father. And when I think about that, I think about, so back in, uh, I'm going to read for you a little bit out of Matthew 18. Here's what he says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, hey, so who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, (laughs) so you get this pattern with the young disciples, right? They're a little cocky, a little misdirected at points. Who's the greatest? Tell me right now. It's probably me, right? So what does Jesus do? Do you remember this thing in Matthew 18? He calls a child, called a child and had this child stand among them. Hey, which one of us? Here we all are. Standing, another sticking their chest out. Which one? Point to him right now. Which one's the greatest? Goes out in the crowd, grabs a child, sets the child in among them. And truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn, unless you change your mind about the way things are in your head, unless you turn from that and realize, no, you've got to become like a child. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what, is it, what does he mean by being a, a child and having a father and all that? I think, guys, just a couple quick things, and then we're going to move on. One, when, we're, when we got humble, childlike faith, we ask honest questions because we really are aware that we don't know what we're talking about. 
We're asking questions. We're constantly, at every age, we're, we're going, God, I don't understand some things. I'm humble enough to realize I'm still a child in so many ways. Relative to the maturity I should have, I'm still a child. God, can you help me understand? Can you help me know? We're constantly asking honest questions. Another one is, we don't always know what's best for us. And so we're constantly having to say, Father, I, I don't know what's right. I don't know, I don't know if I'm choosing the right path. Can you, can you cover me? Because I never know exactly which way to go. So I'm so dependent on you. Will you help me? Would you guide me? There's this humility of, I've got a Father in heaven that sees the path more clearly than I do. I need him so desperately. I trust you, Father. And guys, I think another aspect of having a heavenly Father like this we just enjoy his presence. No matter how long we've known him, no matter how many years we've been on this earth, we just want to be near him. So I, I decided to take a day off this last week, and we went um, back, back to Ames where a couple of our kids live and grandkids. And uh, my son, Colin, we were going to spend the day together. And so he, but he ended up getting a babysitter for his two little boys. And at first, because we were going to go out fishing, and at first I was like, oh, man, I kind of wanted, you know, Grafton Jet with us, you know? And, but, but we took, and so I said, that's cool. You guys, we ended up, just Colin and me, father and son, spending about three and a half hours fishing on this pond. We never moved off the, the one pond. At one point, we're in the back of his pickup and, we're hanging out and just talking. We spent three and a half hours. I can honestly say I don't remember a better day that I've had in I don't know how long than just being in the presence of my son, right? And I love his kids, too, and it's fun being a grandpa. But I'm just saying, for those moments, here, here's what I think John is trying to remind us, you guys. We should have childlike faith like that, just loving our father, just loving being in his presence, just loving hearing his words to us, loving knowing that he forgives us, that he's full of compassion. It's, man, I never want to outgrow being a little child, right? Okay, but he goes on from there, and then he talks about fathers, right? And interestingly, he says the exact same thing to the fathers in both instances. Only time he does it. Fathers, you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Guys, have you ever met someone that when you get done talking to this man or woman, you have this thing in your head where you're like, wow, she really knows God. You ever have that experience? Like you're around them and you just have this overwhelming, like the only way the phrasing that like you can put to it is, well, okay, they know God. That's what he's compelling the fathers of the faith to be. They have known him who is from the beginning. There's a a depth, a richness of their knowledge that just kind of sets them apart. And when you're around them, you just feel like, okay, you know God in a way that I don't know God. And I want to. F.F. F. Bruce uh, is, is one of the guys that, old dead guys that writes great stuff uh, that I read. And he, he said this, through long experience, these fathers have come to know him in a fuller and deeper fashion in a fuller, deeper fashion. Church, we need fathers and mothers in the faith that have just, just by being on this earth longer and walking with God longer, they got the same book, right? <laughs> same father, 
but they've just walked with him a lot longer. Oh, how desperately we need godly fathers and mothers in God's church to look to, to say, man, there's nothing new under the sun. You've encountered this kind of thing before. Help me. What was it like for you? Can you throw me some bones? Throw me some help. I, I need a lifeline here. Can you help me out, right? The fathers and mothers in the faith. I, I had the privilege this last week, too, of uh, getting um, a dear friend of ours that had come to Christ, actually, in our home back in Cedar Falls, like, I don't know, 100 years ago or something, uh, probably not, 30-some years ago. And, and then we were all young in faith and kind of, you know, and we moved to Los Angeles, and she's like, I think I'll move to Los Angeles. So she moved out there with us, and we just, we had life together for several years there, and then she's been now uh, living out in L.A. for many years, 20 years or something. And uh, she got a chance to come back to Iowa and visit, and as we sat on the back porch together, just Teresa and I with Paula, um, we started swapping stories of what God has done over the years, and we started remembering back in those early days and what it was like in Cedar Falls and brand new in faith, and those were exciting and awesome days, but you know what? I was seeing in Paula a richer, fuller, profound faith that was, I mean, I loved our friend Paula when she was brand new in faith. What she has now, because of what she's been through, and she's been through a lot, holy cow, and what she's been through has given her an anchor and a taproot of faith that is just so glorious. I just found myself just wanting to hear more. I'm just saying, guys, we need fathers and mothers in the faith, but... First John actually reserves most of his ink and most of his detention, not for the little children or the fathers, but for the young men. And it is perfectly fine, and it is, I believe, deeply in his mind, he's saying young men, young adults, young men and women, okay? And here's what he's saying. I'm writing you young men because you have conquered the evil one. And then he comes back and spills even more ink. You are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Now, I just want to think about this. Remember, I introduced John to you as this older veteran, older dude. As you think about some veteran who's just been through it all, as he would look at some of the young bucks in the ranks, how do you think most old, wise veterans would perceive the young ones that are like sons of thunder right now? Well, I'll tell you how they would. The eye rolling, the, uh, the impertinence, like, uh, I'm so tired of putting up with all that, you know, just like impatient with them, you know, whatever. Maybe give them a few lectures, you know, when I was your age, uh, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Whatever you think an old veteran would be like with those guys, that is not John's posture at all. You know what John realizes? Guys, it's those young men and women who are doing all the heavy lifting and all the conquering for God's church right now. And he recognizes that. And he doesn't disparage. I mean, he doesn't look down his nose at him. He looks at these young men and women, and he's like, man, you are conquerors. Twice he calls them conquerors, victorious conquerors. And he says, you are strong. I love that, you guys. Here is John battle wounds all over him, and he's looking at them, and he's saying, you are strong. You are not weak. You are not susceptible. You're not vulnerable. You're not inexperienced. No, you are strong. And how are they strong? They are strong in the word of God. Look at that. God's word remains in you. That's how you've conquered the evil one. Guys, if you ever want encouragement, you got to step into, uh, you know, we've got the school of theology, Veritas School of Theology. 
pretty much packed with, with youngins, okay? Pretty much packed with these young men and women that he are conquerors right now. And you would be blown away at their strength. You would be blown away at their knowledge of the word. You should hear their questions. I actually kind of hope we run out of time and don't have time for a Q&A because the questions that they ask every week are like, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't know. I have no, you're asking stuff I've never even thought of, right? Because they're in the word and they're tearing it up. And here's what I'm saying. The heavy lifting of Veritas Church, not just the church in general, the heavy lifting of this church is on the backs of young men and women. And we, like John, have to look at these young men and women and say, oh, man, I am so hopeful right now. You are strong. God's word rests in you. And I am so, so eager to see what God's church is going to become as you take the reins, right? Guys, the forward progress of Veritas Church is not on the backs of the brand new believers. It's awesome to have young children, right? The most youthful, the brand new, it's awesome. And we need those guys. It's not on the backs of the fathers and mothers. They're there, and they're there to give wisdom. No, the heavy lifting is on the young men and women. And John recognizes that, and he's trying to say, church, oh, how desperately we need children fathers, and we need young men and women, right? Now, the young, the, the young men and women, these conquerors, they've got to in turn protect and nurture the children, right? They've got to look around and be like, man, I was there like yesterday, and I know what those questions are, and I know the battles that they're facing, so I've got to give myself to them. And in turn, those young men and women, by John's counsel here, are to look to the fathers and mothers, right? And they're not to just strike out without the, they've got to stay tethered to the, to the strong men and women of faith because they realize there's a whole bunch of wisdom right there that I need to now be on the front lines, right? Guys, in a day of generational divide, I just read an article this last week talking about this time, this day in our nation. He called them generational islands going on right now where people of the same age and everything are kind of clanning up together and, and putting up these kind of borders, you know, and these, these generational islands not listening to each other. Guys, we can't have that in God's church. Oh, how we need each other, right? Would Veritas Church always just have the youngest people of faith, those just emerging into faith, fathers and mothers and young men and women, leaders conquering the evil one all together. Why? Because the stakes are high. We have to band together. Look what he has then prepared these guys for as we look at those last couple of verses, okay? And then we'll be done. Verse 15. After putting his arm around him, here's what he's really been building up to say. Guys, little children, fathers, young men, don't love the world or the things in the world. Look, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Guys, um, all of us, fathers, mothers, children, young men and women, um, we are falling on the battlefield all over the place. And it's not because there's some enemy, like, out there somewhere, though there is. And actually, Zach's going to be bringing us that next passage next week. There is an enemy out there. No, no, no. The number one problem right now, right here, the reason people are falling at all those different stages is because we're getting our eyes off the Father. That's what's going on. 
We, we don't need an enemy taking us out. Our own eyes are dropping from the Father, and it's the enemy within that is taking us out. He, he talks about the lust of the flesh. It's that longing to satisfy what our bodies have these appetites and urges for. Bodies longing for bodies. Bodies longing for intoxication. Bodies longing for food. Bodies longing for just whatever it is that your hunger, your appetites are. He goes, you know why people are dropping? It's giving in to the lust of the, of the flesh, your body appetites. The lust of the eyes, the longing to feast your eye on, on better homes, right? Or people, or, right? I want, why can't I look like that? I was having this, okay, I'll just be honest with you. You guys are used to this, full confession, probably over-confessing. I, I recently saw Brad Pitt. You guys, Brad Pitt's like one year younger than I am. And I'm like, what? What is the deal? Not even close, you know? Here's what I'm saying. I get it. You guys, all of us are vulnerable to this, right? The, our eyes see something and we're like, man, I wish I had or I wish I looked like or I wish I could. You know what I mean? Um, and then what John couldn't have even anticipated, now we have Pinterest, right? Instagram, this constant feasting of what our eyes could long for and want more of and more of and more of. And then maybe the most devilish of all, the pride of of my own possessions. Here's why I think this is even more devilish. It's not so much that I have a lust for what you have, I want to create lust in you for what I have. I'm actually most satisfied when I have something all of you want. Isn't that devilish? The pride of what I have, because now I know that lust that I have in my heart, I've created that in you. How devilish is that? But it's in us. I want people to think I've got. I want people to look at me like they want. John ends this little passage, and the world with its lusts is passing away, but the one who does the will of, the, of God remains forever. You know that old saying, it's all going to burn? <laughs> John, that's where this comes from, right? That's just like, I don't know if Eugene Peterson wrote it in there. Don't look now. I get the eye rolls every time I bring up. Eugene Peterson in the message, but, but it's all going to burn, right? In fact, so, so my wife, my wife's a realtor, and she, every now and then, has a customer, none of you, has a customer that it gets way too, way too animated about, you know, finding the perfect house, and after a while, she said, you know, I feel like on my business card, I'm going to have Teresa Dodge, realtor, it's all going to burn, like, I want you to have a great house, we have a great house, I love our house, truly, you've been to our house, I love our house, right, but at the end of the day, it's all going to burn, right? John is trying to say, you get so saturated, you know, having this lust for everything out there, and I want, I want, I want, or I want you to want, and at the end of the day, it's all going to burn. You know why? We've got we've to get our eyes on our Heavenly Father. That's our problem. And you know what we need, church? Here's, here's the thing. I, I want so desperately for Veritas Church to be a community of people that this city has always really wanted to be. That's what I want. And when they peer into us, you know what they see? They see the youngest in faith who are just thrilled out of their minds that they have a Father in heaven that they are forgiven. And they see a whole bunch of people who are down the road from them excited to be reminded again, oh, yeah, I've been forgiven. I have a Father. 
to have a community of people where the older men and women of faith are not just dismissed, not put on a shelf, but are looked to and listened to. You know, one of these guys that wrote about these generational islands did this study. It was just from like one year ago, two, two years ago. And they did a poll of people like, I think, 65 and older and asked how many conversations have you had with somebody in their 20s? And of that category of people, meaningful conversation, it was like, I think some of them had had like 20 or 30 conversations like in the last six months. And then when they said, wait, cut out family members, it was down to like three or four conversations that those people had had in months with another gen Here's what I'm saying. Would this be the kind of church where children and young men and women look to the fathers and the mothers and say, man, I need you. I need you so much. Can you help me? And the older men and women are not also just tapping out like, dude, I've done my heavy lifting. I'm done. I'm retiring now. No, they're in there. They're helping. And may this be the kind of church that has young men and women who are teaching us a whole lot, who are shouldering ministry, training us how to think, stepping into the world of the younger men and women and saying, man, you are onto something. You're going to be world changers. I just had lunch yesterday with one of those couples that are sitting right over here. And I, I walked away. You know what I said after I walked away from having lunch with you guys? I turned to Teresa and I said, man, if that's the future of God's church, I am so hopeful. I, our church is in great hands when I think of the young men and women. May that be the kind of church that God raises up here, right? May God do it. Will you stand with me? I'd love to pray that into our hearts and souls and Jesus, we're about to worship you, and rightly so. We're just so thrilled <laughs> to be your children. So thrilled to be reminded again that we've been forgiven. We have a Father in heaven. Man, if we remember nothing else from this morning, let that just resonate in our hearts and souls and carry us along, Lord. But God, we, we do have enemies out there um, for sure. But what we really want to confess right now is the enemy within. This lust, Lord, it's, it's like cancerous to our souls. Would we, Lord, turn our eyes away from all that we see and hunger for and even want to display to other people? Would we turn our eyes away from all that and look to our Father in heaven? Would you teach us? Would you guide us? Would you put your arm around us and kind of lift, lift our chin away from all that stuff and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Jesus, you are to be worshiped. You've given it all for us. And now we stand here forgiven because Jesus of what you have done for us. And so we want to fill our hearts, our souls, and our mouths with worship that you deserve. Hear us as we pray and as we sing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.